This episode of the Holy Backboard Podcast is brought to you by Vinyl Me. Please join their Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Come on everybody and let's get to pumping cause it's All right, everybody, welcome to the 65th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon, just got done with a family dinner, so I appreciate Dustin for doing this podcast oh so late, but you know, we actually got to hang out for the first time in like... Almost a year? Almost a year. I mean, of course we hang out every every week on the podcast. But being in person's a lot different than seeing you at over Skype. So it was it was probably one of the more fun nights that I've had in a long, long, long time. Yeah, you took us out to some authentic Mexican cuisine, had my first torta, um, had some bomb tacos, then we grabbed some beers, uh, did some trivia, watched the ducks beat Arizona State, um, and Medi. It really made the the Southern Oregon trip complete and it was totally worth it even though my colleague Ian and I got stuck in the Medford airport which as you you know aptly pointed out is very clean um for about four four and a half five hours on Friday but it is it it is what it is and one I'm glad I made it home in time to watch the blazer game made it home safe and sound um, especially due to the freezing rain. But most importantly, it's glad I got to kick it with you for the first time in a long time. It was just like riding a bike, picked up right where we left off, and cannot wait until you make that move official up to the Rose City, my friend. I thought you were going to mention the fact that you beat my ass in the NBA trivia, but I guess I'll, I'll bring it up. I, I kind of got roasted a few times. What happens at Morton's stays at Morton's. Yo, bro, I am shocked that I forgot so many Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Hawks. Uh, yeah, the Hawks really don't have any NBA players anymore, um, outside of their starting five, but it it really is tough. If you think you can actually go through and currently name on average seven NBA or seven players on each NBA team, try. It's a lot more difficult than it actually is to do because once you get past those first three to five, uh, players that you know for certain are there, you're like, shit did he get traded there what who what team is he on now i mean for me my method is i start going back through the draft i remember most teams through the draft but then like bring up this random player i'm like what he's still in the league he signed where um it's difficult or i just bring up like as hints bro i've talked about him on the show i said he hits mid-range jumpers at a high high clip can't you don't remember this shit (laughs) oh man did you actually watch the Super Bowl? I know you've been on your anti-football kick. Did you get a chance to watch any of the game? Uh, definitely not anti-football. I love college football. NFL, I've been falling out of flavor with for quite some time. I, Not to go too deep into it, I don't like how the media treated Cap for taking a knee for what he believed in during the anthem. I don't like really how pro-Trump uh, to be quite blunt that some of the NFL coaches are when you see a lot of NBA coaches are on the complete opposite spectrum working for equal rights and voicing it as is the case with Steve Kerr uh, pop and uh, Stan Van Gundy. 
And, you know, it just seems like, I know this doesn't happen every game, but every week on Deadspin, there's just fights and brawls at NFL stadiums. And it's just like, man, I don't really want to support that. And I know it's not like that at every stadium. I know that every NFL player isn't a jerk. There are actually quite a few amazing players like Cap. Uh, Torrey Smith does a lot of great things. I know Greg Olson for the Panthers was, you know, they were in that battle retweeting for each other's foundation. So they're, I'm not going to let the seeds of a couple bad apples ruin the whole thing, but it just starts to kind of wear on me. And it's just also, I've always preferred college football more than NFL. Um, so Olga and I did our thing today, went out, hit the winter sales, but turned the game on. Saw it was 28 to 12, ate dinner, read my book, turned it back on, and all of a sudden, you know, the comeback was in place. So I finished in overtime, wasn't too happy to see that Tom Brady won, but it is what it is, and the NFL season is over, and uh, it's all basketball, college and NBA, basketball rules as it should. I mean, as a Saints fan growing up, and I mean, I'm, I still am a Saints fan, die hard. I've always hated the Falcons. There's no way for me not to hate the Falcons. This year, as I've been doing daily fantasy, like I know Julio Jones is a beast. I know Matt Ryan is a beast. The Saints aren't as skilled as they were in 2010 and 2009. So it's like my hatred for them has mellowed. But then when they got to the Super Bowl, it was like, man, I'm not going to root for this team I've hated for, for fucking decades. Why would I want that? And I, my family, like, when we immigrated to this country, we landed in Boston and Rhode Island. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock for all of the Lees that, you know, st- were in Boston and Providence, you know? I, I, I got to rock for them. So I was happy that the Patriots won for my family. And both fan bases are incredibly annoying to me, especially when I worked in sports radio. They would call in to bitch at me because, you know, pro Saints guy. But, you know... Glad that that's over. It's basketball time. I'm very happy about that. Speaking of basketball, I've been following a lot of college hoops because Portland has two picks in this upcoming draft. Um, It was a great weekend for hoops. Uh, Not only did the Ducks just demolish Arizona, but we got to see Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz go head to head. Um, You know, every weekend there is a top guy in action, which is what I love. Like this draft is super deep at any given time you could turn on the the television you could see jonathan isaac from florida state miles bridges from michigan state um dennis smith is getting triple doubles on the regular in college which is you know pretty outstanding coming out of north carolina state and josh jackson from kansas kansas just went down there what 50 plus uh home win streak is over now oregon owns the longest uh current home win streak at 40 i mean Lori Markinen from Arizona is a top 10 pick. He was at the game. Ivan Rabb, TJ Leaf, all Pac-12 players. So I've seen probably this is the most I've really been into college hoops outside of the Ducks um, in a long time. I think a lot of that has to do with the Blazers and, and their current state. It's got to be 2012, planning. right? Yeah, it's, it has to be 2012 when we really got into Lillard really late in the game. Those license to Lillard videos dropped and I was hooked. To be honest, that was a pretty much a Kendall Marshall guy before – um, you and Shalimar really put me on to Dame. <laughs> it was me. He was pretty. High, he was high on Dame too, so I'm going to give him credit there. But that was the last year. No, 2013 as well, because we lost 13 straight. We got the guy wanted in CJ. 
But after that, Portland didn't have a pick in 2014 due to the Gerald Wallace trade, which got us Damian. And 2015, we moved our pick, which was Rondé Hollis, Jefferson for Mason Plumley. Last year, we made the playoffs, so Denver got our, got our pick. So this is really the first time in four to five years where I've actually watched games, not religiously, but quite frequently outside of the Ducks, and really feel like I have a good grasp on who is available and what are the the, the positions, the, the the specialist, and the overall, I guess, the shape of the 2017 draft class. It's an extremely strong freshman class, and it's extremely deep. For Portland, I I really don't think you should draft for need, and we'll get in more to that once we you know start previewing the draft. It's always best player available. There are classic examples of that. We can go back to. 05 when we traded down to get a shooting guard because we had Sebastian Telfair, took Martel Webster, passed on Darren and CP3, or go all the way back to 84 when we should have probably taken Barkley or Jordan instead of Sam Bowie. But the past is the past, and all you can do is learn from the past. But Sage, who are some of these prospects? You know, as we we're getting into February, March Madness is coming upon us. What are some of your cautions to the fans out there in terms of not getting too high or too low on prospects? But what what do you look for when you watch these players? Because some players can put up mad numbers in college and then flop in the NBA. And then some can kind of fly under the radar, see Andre Drummond, and now he's a beast. Um, What do you look for when you're watching these guys and trying to evaluate their games at the next level? I feel like for posts, you have to look at the guards that surrounded him. because. Perfect example, Andre Drummond. His guards did not pass him the ball at all, so he looked like a worse prospect. I think it's just you can't be too overly emotional with the players, and you got to watch them multiple times to see if there's any patterns. At least that's what I do. I try not to get too high or too low, and then I, I just watch as much film as you can. I mean, ESPN Watch is a humongous, great resource for me to watch games. So, I mean, it's just watching them multiple times. I think for me, there are a couple things I look for. One, rebounding. If you're a great rebounder at the college level, that is one thing that almost as a certainty progresses and translates over to the next level. See guys like Paul Millsap and Kenneth Reed, smaller, undersized power forwards out of mid-majors, so to speak, and they kept that skill set going to the next level. Uh, Another one in which CJ McCollum has, can you score with the ball in your hands? Uh, A lot of guys can catch and shoot, and that's great, but can you create your own offense? That's why I think a guy like Malik Monk, uh, Dennis Smith, Markel Fultz, those guys are going to be just fine at the next level. The other thing is, don't just say, I watched this guy one or two times and he didn't wow me. Uh, I fell fell, uh, in that trap during the great... 06 debate between Tyrus Thomas and LaMarcus Aldridge. I got so caught up in Tyrus, you know, really dominating that. He really dominated that game. But LaMarcus, he was taller, he was more athletic, he was more agile, he could shoot the basketball. He had more of a skill set that could be almost crafted. Tyrus was what he was. He was a freak athlete. He was undersized and really didn't have any skills that were refined. Jumper was really shaky. Uh, wasn't a terrific rebounder. Could get a, a couple shot blocks and highlight dunks. Uh, so you really have to look at not only who they are now, but what they're going to look like in the long term. And that's why I think it was 
Um, pretty important when you're looking at a guy, I think, you know, I mentioned him, uh, Lowry uh, Markkinen for, from Arizona. Uh, he didn't really wow me in that Ducks game, but Oregon put it on him, and Oregon has a great set of bigs in Boucher and Bell and Bigby Williams who make life difficult. They made life difficult for Ivan Rab as well, who was, you know, leading a, he's averaging a double double for Cal um, as a sophomore and is a likely, you know, top 15 pick. So you have to look at these guys and how are they going to look with other NBA talent surrounding them? If you're a guy like Markinen, you're probably not going to have the entire defense focused on you at the NBA level. You're going to have one guy and, you know, it's going to take five to six years before teams are going to have to actually start paying, you know, more attention to you, getting, you know, the Lillard and McCall level treatment where they're always watching where you go. And this really um, where I'm going with this is I was watching that that UCLA Washington game and the announcer made a, a comparison. He said TJ Leaf, who a lot of mock drafts have projected Portland to go after kind of like a Ryan Anderson. He's more athletic than Ryan, but Ryan was a better shooter from from long range. And they said. TJ Leaf could be a more all-around, just a better player. But Ryan Anderson developed into a specialist coming out of Cal. And that's where he makes his money. That's where he makes the Houston Rockets so difficult to defend because he does one thing extremely well. So I think that's really where the game is going. If you're not going to be a superstar, you need to really find your niche in this league. Are you going to be a rebounder? Are you going to be a shot blocker, a defender, a shooter? Pick your spot because... While it's great to be an all-around player probably for your college team, moving to that next level, if you can't make that jump, you really need to hone in on one skill set. So that's what I look for. I look for a couple of those skills. Can you shoot? Can you create your own shot? Can you rebound the basketball? I mean, I yeah. A lot of- you, you brought up, like, I, I think in this day and age, if you don't have one of those guards or wings that can get to the basket and create their own shot, you have no chance in this league. So if you see someone that has that ability, you have to do a lot of research on that guy because that one skill set is so rare. I mean, I'm dealing with that with Drew Holiday and the Pelicans. We don't have they don't have a guy that can just get to the hoop whenever he wants, like a Dame or a CJ. It takes a lot more effort. It takes screen and rolls and stuff like that. Like finding the, a person with that skill set is so unbelievably important. I mean, and rebounding Paul Millsap. I mean, I, th- I think it's just seeing if there's a one special elite skill that translates. But, I mean, I, I like talking to people that know about the game, know about the specific team better, to learn from their experience as well as my own. I mean, it's, it's always good to have more opinions on players, especially in the scouting department. And what I love about this draft and why I'm so excited and why I'm not upset at all at Portland's recent struggles is I'm looking at mock drafts, and typically through the first 15 to 16 picks, there's not a guy I'm like, ah, I'd be so pissed off if we drafted him. Nearly every other year, there's two or three guys we stay the fuck away from him. I do not want him drafted. American white bigs? I mean, this is a draft where I'm just like, yep, take him, take him. You know, either he feels a, feels a need or he's going to be best player available, or I just really love his game, or you could really see the potential coming out of, you know, X or Y. So that, in a sense, makes it fun because you're not just like praying that, you know, your team doesn't fall in love with somebody who you do not think is going to translate. Rather, it's, you know, who falls down to you? Who do you get? And that's kind of how it was in the 06 draft or excuse me, 
that 2012 draft because, you know, you had Thomas Robinson almost fell to us. And at the time, he was considered the number one pick along with AD. Um, there was the possibility that Andre Drummond would be there. Um, Damian Lillard, could we get him with that second pick? Um, it worked out how it worked out. I, I would take it 10 times out of 10. But when you have a great draft and there's a chance that somebody could drop to you or just, you know, pick of the litter, you get down to, you know, 10 or 11, there's going to be a guy there that you're going to be super stoked to introduce to your fans the next afternoon. And I'm just going to let you know, Damian Lillard was number two on Dell Demps's list. It, you couldn't have gotten him with that second pick. Absolutely not. Oh, no. Toronto or Golden State would have uh, swooped him up as well. You know, I would like in my image if to be the Pelicans. No offense. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think this is the year that I want as many assets in the draft as humanly possible to get that next game changer. I mean, there's so many reasons why we won't get a a, a, a level mover, a, a needle mover in the free agency. I mean, the cat, like, there's going to be less elite player movement just because of the cap, just because of all the restrictions on players leaving. So building through the draft is now a necessary evil for a lot of these small market teams, even though they have, like with Portland, they have two elite guys. And if you're wondering why are we talking about the draft so much, it's only February 5th, there are still 30 games left to play. It's because the Jekyll and Hyde Blazers struck once again this week, just when you thought the team was going to turn the corner. It was going to happen after their December 13th blowout of the Thunder. It was going to happen after they beat the Cavs, after that you know struggle just to even get there from the Staples Center the night before during Portland's snowpocalypse. You know, it was going to happen after they beat Boston in Boston. It's not happening this year, folks. I have come to that realization. There is no turning the corner for this Blazer team. They are what they are. And as painful as that is to say, there's, there's no more flipping any proverbial switches. We are 30 games left into this season. We are 22 and 30. We are almost near the all-star break. There are about two months left in the season. Um, I don't realistically see any way this team turns it around. And if they do, it's going to be too little too late. And I was, as I was, you know, getting ready for this podcast, I was looking at the standings. Um, the eighth seed, nobody wants. I think we all can agree that is attainable, but I it is not Denver the right. Wants it. I think Denver would take it. Dallas wants it just as bad. Yeah. yeah. So we all can agree that the eighth seed is attainable. But if you look up and you're thinking, I would even take our chances against San Antonio, as crazy as that sounds, the Oklahoma City Thunder have our inverse record. They are 30 and 22. So they have 30 games left as well. If they just play 500 ball, that puts them at 45 wins. Portland would have to go 23 and seven the rest of the way. So you, you've, you've joined me on the tanking trade. No, 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 there's no tanking. There's just watching games. If they lose cool. Okay. If they win. Okay. I think losses help better in the long run, but you know, if they beat the Lakers, I'm going to be happy. They beat the Lakers. And also I realize there are some games we're just going to win. So there's no need to get upset when they do win. Um, I'll rephrase it then. Now that you've joined me on the, I would prefer losses opposed to wins team. What, what do you think the organization itself is thinking? Cause 
you and I thinking losses are better isn't that important. It's what the people in charge of the Trailblazers are thinking is the real thing that's important. What are what are they thinking though? I mean, we don't know what goes on um, at one center court. Uh, Neil Olshay keeps everything tight-lipped, and if you believe what Isaac Ropp said this past week about him being fired for being overly critical, being fired, I should say, at Talking Ball for, for being overly critical of Neil Olshay, then you could say Olshay controls everything going in and out of there. And I think Olshay was the one who had a reason in Chris McGowan sending out that apology for Portland causing instigating the the McCollum Chandler Parsons Twitter instigation, which it's Twitter. It's fun. Um, although I should say some things are not fun on Twitter. There are a bunch of assholes out there, but that was just playful banter. Either way, it, it's tough to really say what the Blazers want. Paul Allen's always been kind of this mysterious figure. Um, he's had his run-ins with GMs, Kevin Pritchard firing him the day before the draft or the day of the draft, telling him to pick his players and then, you know, kick rocks. There was firing Rich Cho, what, not even a season into his, um, his, his, his time on the job. And, you know, now here's Neil O'Shea. Um, your guess is as good as mine. I would hope that he would see that this team is mediocre. That that is the mediocre and inconsistent. We're 14 and 11 at home in an arena that sells out nearly every single night in front of one of the most rabid fan bases in the NBA unacceptable that cannot happen we are atrocious eight and 19 on the road um and we cannot i saw this stat i think on on sports too we've had multiple three game win streaks but they've happened all in different months we've had multiple three to four game losing streaks which have all happened in different months this team cannot decide what they want to do do they want to win do they want to lose who the fuck knows um I think there is something going on behind the scenes. Um, I just don't think the story is being let out. I think maybe we'll hear it after the season, maybe a year from now. But that's the only thing I think that can explain what's going on because it's the same cast of characters. I think a better cast of characters when you factor in Evan Turner for Gerald Henderson, which I think is a positive swap. Dame's improved play, CJ's improved play. But the product on the court just isn't what it was last year you can tell that some nights they play with that chip on their shoulder when last year it was every night that chip was on their shoulder and we've said this time and time again on this podcast it doesn't really matter how talented you are in the nba everyone is talented portland isn't good enough just to sleepwalk through games or decide when and where they want to show up they have to bring it every night and play with that extra passion um, they, you have to have that extra mojo, so to speak, to get it done. They did it last year. I'm not seeing that same fight. I'm not saying they're not trying. I definitely think they're trying, but I haven't seen that same energy. Just even just listening to them in the locker room, it, it just it doesn't seem like the same group of guys. And, and I really hope that Neil can see that as well and doesn't make a panic trade just to appease the owner to get the eighth seed because I know it'd be a difference in what four to five picks, but Nobody needs to see this team get swept by the Golden State Warriors. And I know we played them tough, you know, last week at the Rose Garden. But I think a series with the Warriors would be more indicative of what happened the first time we played. The first couple times when we lost by 23 and like 45 points than what happened this past week. 
nobody likes losing, but I think the greater good right now might be in losses. And you really only have to go back four years to 2013 when Portland ended the year on a 13-game losing streak. It put them in the 10th position to get C.J. McCollum, who really should have went a couple of notches higher in that draft. You look and see if they just went 7-6, and 5-8, and eight, however you want to slice and dice it, and they fall between you know that 10-15 to 15 region. The guys taken after them, Michael Carter-Williams, Steven Adams, Kelly Olenek, Shabazz Muhammad, and Giannis. Giannis is that unicorn, that Kawhi Leonard type of player that once out of every 10 drafts, there's a guy post-lottery that's a freak like him. I don't think you could say, oh, we, we could have won those games and still landed him. Because that just doesn't happen very often. It's more likely you're going to end up end up with a guy like Carter Williams or Olenek. And if you're lucky, you might have gotten Steven Adams. Steven Adams, okay player. I don't get the hubbub around him. I think he's a nice defender, a nice rebounder. But he's just as awkward trying to convert layups uh, in tra- traffic as Mason Plumlee. Uh, doesn't really do a whole lot for me. The fact that we have CJ McCollum, who was arguably a top three talent from this draft, along with Giannis and Rudy Gobert, we, we we took 13 losses in a row. Do you, do you remember any of those losses, Sage? I remember one of them, and that was the last game of the season against the Warriors when we somehow, some way, decided it would be cool to insert LaMarcus Aldridge, and he went for 30-20 and 20 and almost won us the game. And I was sitting there so pissed off because I did not want it. It would have cost us to pick in the draft. Do you think the Philadelphia 76ers would love to have CJ McCollum on that roster right now instead of Michael Carter-Williams, um, who they aptly traded? So what I'm saying now is two, three years from now, fuck, maybe even next week, you're not going to remember these losses. I I don't want to say this season is a a washed season because you need to see the progression of guys like Noah Vonleh, hell, Myers Leonard, uh, CJ, how does Mo Harkless continue to play off the bench? Uh, Evan Turner's uh, improved play, especially as he's getting more comfortable with this unit. Uh, What does the team do with Mason Plumlee? Uh, You've got Dame. You've got Jake Lehman and Tim Quarterman actually playing very well in the D League for um, I think the the Westchester or the Windy City Bulls, excuse me. So there are a lot of reasons to still watch, and I will still continue to watch religiously. It's just that the final outcome of the game isn't is no longer the sole reason I watch. If that makes any sense. Totally. I mean, every game has has merit and is important in some way or another. So it was a one and two week for our Trailblazers. They kicked it off with just a complete ass kicking of the Charlotte Hornets, a complete role role reversal of the game earlier in January when the two teams matched up in Charlotte, when the Hornets just waxed us. Portland uh, defeated the Bugs 115 to 98. Um, I'll be completely honest. I was actually working this game on assignment. So I saw a lot of it through my camera lens, through my through, you know, the video camera. But what I did see was Portland got out to a very slow start. I believe they missed their first seven or eight shots. But what I noticed was it was only 4-0 Hornets. And that was a very good sign for the Blazers because it showed that their defense was keeping them in the game. They they held the Hornets to just thir- three point or 23 points that quarter and actually led 28-23. to 23. They did a much better job on the bigs. Roy Hibbert had just two points, seven boards. Spencer Hawes, eight points, four boards, um, and Kaminsky, Kaminsky, 10 points, but took 10 shots. 
they were not the factors they were. He knew Kemba was going to get 22, but it took him 8 of 18 shooting. Batum had a really solid night, uh, 18, 8 boards, 6 assists, but 4 turnovers. That's not 40 points from Batum and Walker when the rest of the team really doesn't do much. Not going to be enough. And that was the case. Uh, Dame was vintage Dame, 27 points on, you know, plus 50% shooting. You get 18 from CJ on 50% shooting. And then you get Alan Crabb. And I can't stress this enough, but Alan Crabb is the motherfucking X factor for this team. When he goes off, we are tough to handle because you've got three players you can get it from at any time. And he had 21 points, you know, three of six from downtown, five of 10 overall. But what impressed me most, eight of eight from the foul line. That shows he was not just settling for his jump shot, but he got aggressive. And this team is just such a different unit when they've got those three guards clicking. And last year I made the statement that that three guard rotation was the best I've seen from the Blazers since the early nineties when we had Drexler Porter and Drazen. Um, and then you follow up the next year with Drexler Porter and Danny Ainge. So that was really high praise. And when they play like that, they definitely live up to that billing. I think that AC, I want I, I might actually look this up, but do you happen to know what his splits are home and away? Because it seems like he gets busy at home. His splits home and away, I mean, he definitely plays much better at home. But what I also, I was watching, um, I believe this talking ball after one of the games, AC splits after he has a big game are usually pretty gnarly. Uh, he usually doesn't follow that up with a really solid performance. So that's always something to watch with Alan Crabb is the consistency. We know who he, he has one of the best jumpers in, in the league, but can he get it at a, a consistent basis? But yes, home and road splits. He's played about equal amount of games. He gets 12.4 points home, 9.1 on the road. More importantly, look at that three-point shooting percentage. 51% at home, 36 on the road. Overall field goal, 51 at home. 10% points lower, 41 on the road. So his shooting does not travel. It reminds me a lot of Ryan Anderson. Damn it, you were going to bring it up. <laughs> who you always brought up. Like, he kills at Smoothie King, but on the road, you know, leave him open. He is not going to hit. So that is something that Allen's really got to work on. Um, thankfully, he's only 24 years old, and he has quite a bit of experience. But th- this year and last year are really his two years that he's gotten experience. I do think if Portland does move Alan Crabb, you're going to see him be more consistent. He is a starting player in this league, in my opinion. I think Portland has four starting guards. They've got Turner. They've got Dame, CJ, and Crabb. They don't – it's hard to say they don't need all of them, but they need to get rid of something to really to really booster their front court because their front court – their back court is so fucking strong – but the front court just drags everything down and it just settles them into mediocrity, Sage. I mean, they could have Steph and Clay, but I think with that front court, that team's not going anywhere. I think Portland really needs to to focus on getting a better front court. You got to include uh, Mo Harkless as a starting guard. I mean, needs a wing, but he's definitely in that jumbling up the uh, the minutes that, let's just say, Crab and Turner definitely need a to get continuity with other players, and for Crab just to more playing time, more confidence. If he becomes a consistent threat, 
it's beautiful for the Blazers because he's such a good shooter. But I think he doesn't get enough minutes, and that that split home and road. I mean, I, I would like him to not have that inconsistency when he leaves the Moda Center. What I've noticed lately about the Blazers is, despite a really strong front court, they've been murdering teams in the paint, which is really not what we're used to seeing from this team. Uh, they doubled up the Hornets, forty-four to twenty-four. Excuse me, forty-four to twenty-two, and it was a third quarter rally. So they got the lead up to fourteen in the second quarter. I'm taking pictures, taking video. All of a sudden, they look up and it's four, and I, you know, ask the guy next to me, like, you know, what's going on? You know, they can't just hold the lead. Obviously, Kemba and Batum got busy, but Portland really jumped out of the gates in that third quarter. Uh, they really controlled the, the glass, 59-49 to 49 advantage, 11-3 uh, to 3 advantage on the offensive glass, and they took care of the ball. Only eight turnovers, which is what you want to see for you know a Blazer team that really can be sloppy at times. So they did what they had to do. This was a game, regardless of whether you want a win or a loss, you know Portland should win this game. That's what they did. It was enjoyable to come home after that one, um, especially after the way that they, they kicked our ass in, in North Carolina, you know, a few weeks ago. Moving on to what I thought was one of the more winnable games on, on this schedule. Everyone keeps talking about the schedule easing up. The schedule eases up. Dustin, the schedule eases up. I know that, but we haven't been taking advantage. You know, look at the Magic. Look at the Pistons game. We're, we're throwing these games away left and right. And, you know, Friday night was a prime example. I was actually really fucking excited for this game. Probably one of the first games I've been excited about in, in quite some time. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Once Portland gets on, you know, once they win a game or two and they start getting that look that they're going to turn the corner, you know, I'm all in. You know, let's try to get the best seed possible. Um, wherever the team's, you know, trending towards it is where I'll trend toward. And, you know, we had beat Boston. We beat the Lakers. Great game against Memphis. Probably should have beat the Warriors. And then we just pounded the Hornets. We're ending this homestand. We could go 4-1 and one in the homestand before, you know, two winnable road games. And Sage, we came out. Ugh. I think it was, Dallas it was, came out like gangbusters. But it was we didn't match their intensity, Absolutely Sage. not. We had... Two days off, but we, we played on Tuesday against the Hornets, which, to be, to be quite frank, our guys didn't play a lot of minutes because we kicked their ass. We almost essentially had three full days between this game, and the energy wasn't there, and it was classic Jekyll and Hyde Blazers where they didn't show up against a team they really should have buried. Uh, Dallas was without Darren Williams. They were without um, J.J. Barea. They were without Devin Harris. Um you name it, they were probably without him. Andrew Bogut didn't play as well. Yet Dallas came out like gangbusters. It was 17 to 4 in the first. I think I believe it got up to 30 to 10. And it was a carbon fucking copy of the first time these two teams played together in Portland, where Dallas held a 24 point lead at half. It wasn't that bad for Portland. Um, it was a 13 point deficit at the half. Um, Portland kept chipping away, but when you play a team who I think kind of symbolizes Portland last year, just aggressive they want it more they got dogs on the team they have wesley matthews they have seth curry who's trying to fight under his brother's shadow they have yogi ferrell on a 10-day contract literally playing for his basketball life and you got dirk Nowitzki, who's not going to go out like a punk like he wants to make the playoffs he doesn't give a fuck about the lottery he's a former mvp former nba champion why should he care 
they came out and they punched us in the mouth, Sage, and it took us too goddamn long to get back. And this was really the game that set me off for the Blazers. I don't know how you can come into this game, especially when you play them um, the, in the upcoming week. They're on your heels. You know, they were once, I think, like 2-13, and 13, something like that. And now they're 20-30 and 30 on Portland's heels, really clawing for that eighth seed. They kicked our ass, and they only got eight bench points doing it. Um, I don't know what to say, but did Yogi Ferrell have the game of his life? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, nine of eleven from downtown. Always hit that dagger shot when we needed it, or when not when we needed, when they needed it. Um, eleven of seventeen overall from the field. Uh, West was murder from from downtown, and overall he had twenty seven, eight of nine from the stripe, added in six boards, and his usual you know gritty ass play. And then Seth Curry was doing what he he's done over these past you know few weeks, um, nineteen points, seven of twelve shooting. I like how we defended him in the first half. I will say we always put length on him. He had a very difficult first half, but the negative part about that we put a lot of assets into stopping Seth Curry. But Yogi Ferrell had a lot of easy shots because they spent so much of their resources on stopping Seth Curry. So, I mean, that led to Yogi just having open shots, and the Blazers would continuously go under screens. So Sage, was... why why did we do that? I understand doing that two, three times. I mean, he's Yogi Ferrell. He, he got cut from the Brooklyn Nets, for God's sake. Two, three times, fine. Go under the screen, make, make him Prove make us pay. Why did we continue to do that? I saw a lot of Portland's old flaws come out in this game in terms of no hedging. There was no trapping, and there was really terrible pick and roll, you know, defense. Yogi Ferrell fucking gave us the Jordan shrug. He's like, "What are you guys doing? I, I'm on fire, and you're continuously letting me have this shot." Um, it feels like stubborn defense. It feels like lazy defense. It feels like I don't give a fuck defense. Uh, tell me I'm wrong here, Sage. What uh, optimistic Blazers fans could say is. They were trying very hard in the first half to stop Seth Curry, who was having very good statistical numbers the last 10 games, shooting 50% from the, uh, from the field, and I think from three as well. So he was killing it. So they spent a lot of their resources defending him. I don't believe that because I don't think Seth's that scary, but I, I think that's what the rationale for very optimistic Blazer fans were. I mean, Harrison Barnes, who's been killing it, has 13 points on 14 shots, and they still beat us. Um, You want to talk about Alan Crabb, how he played so well and had, I believe, what, 20-plus points uh, against the Hornets on, you know, 50-plus percent. He missed some very easy shots, too. He took four shots, dude. Five points, one of four shooting. Um, Either we need to get him the ball more, which we definitely do, Um or he's not being aggressive enough. I, I don't know, but this is Alan Crabb in a nutshell. And he's going to have great games, but then he follows it up with, with this. One, I don't think there's enough shots to go around, especially when you have Evan Turner taking 17 shots. And CJ. Which, which he was 10 of 17, so Evan Turner should have kept shooting. CJ was 55% from the field. Um, the one player you can look at and say, mm, don't like your game. Uh, Dame was four of 20, probably started to force it a little bit. One of eight from downtown. I would like to see those shots go to Alan Crabb a little bit more. Um, but again, e- even in that, 
even again in that, in that, that, that sphere of Blazer basketball, you have Dame, CJ, Crab, Turner. I, I don't think their styles, there's not enough basketballs to go around. Evan Turner loves the ball in his hands. Dame and CJ need a ton of shots. Alan Crab needs a ton of shots. I just don't see how it works. I think I think we're going through the same thing that we we discussed like maybe four or five years ago with the Pelicans when they had all the those talented players in theory and only one basketball. I think we have too many ball dependent players. I I I don't know how we how we change it, but I think there's only one basketball, but so many people need it to be useful. There's quite a few things I want to touch on before we move on to the next game. Let's start off with Noah Vonley. Uh, he plays seven minutes, opening shift in the first quarter, starts four points, three rebounds, two of three from the field, doesn't see the floor the rest of the game. This has been an ongoing trend, very similar to Nicholas Batum in the 08-09 season when he would start the first half of each game, never to be seen again. Vonley didn't even get that chance in the second half. Sage, what is the strategy, if there is any, behind starting him and not playing him at all? I'm of the mind and thought that he needs more minutes. Like He's the one guy who we can really see some good potential in this kid, and we're fucking wasting it. So who who actually got the minutes? Was it Aminu or Myers? Ed Davis played 16 minutes. Aminu played 37. Um, Aminu played the second most minutes on the team, which I know we had 14 and 8, but... Uh, he just made a lot of plays that you just kind of close your eyes and wince because he tries to go but one on But that's the same dude that we saw last year, just more so. He, he, to be fair, he chilled big time on those plays. He was, he really played within himself last year. He was much, towards the end of the season, he was much more just catch and shoot, maybe a one dribble pull up, one dribble to the cup. Uh, when we first got him, yes, there was a lot of, you know, I'm one on four, one on seven, yeah, I don't care, I'm going. Effect, man. This year, I've seen way too much of that. I don't know why that's happening, why Stotts is allowing it to happen, but uh, Aminu cannot be the guy getting you the second most minutes on your roster right now. I mean, but he's the one guy that has that, that's defensively minded. But team. if you make a stop on one end, Sage, and then go one on four the next stop, does does that impact the game? Any, no, it's you just negated your great play. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I think I think Neil wanted to win, and he thought Al Farouk was going to be the, the a deciding factor on us beating Dallas. You mean Terry? Who did I say? Neil. Neil. All right, I was worried I said something else, but yeah. All right, I'll take I'll take a I'll take a blazer comparison uh, switch. But yeah, I think Terry thought, you know, Al Farouk's our best defender. We need him to guard Dirk and whoever else is hot. I'm going to put him out there. If he makes some bad decisions, so be it. He, he plays good defense. I, I don't know. I'm trying to make up reasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure those are very valid reasons. But, you know, we talk about one young power forward. Let's talk about another. Myers Leonard, he doesn't even play. No, Has no, no. Myers- let's, he's a center. Whatever. I mean, we're comparing tomatoes and tomato sage. It doesn't really matter. The point is, he continues to get yanked in and out of the lineup, similar to Von Ley. It reminds me exactly what he did to Thomas Robinson and Joel Freeland and Myers. 
he needs to make up his fucking mind and play these players consistent minutes. Now, if it's, I mean, I think it's another scenario of having too many mouths to feed because then you've got Ed Davis and you've got Mason Plumley. And they deserve I think minutes. There's just too many players on this team and not enough really good quality players. Yeah, I, uh, a lot of. And I, I don't think that that Myers has really earned his minutes, but you know, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, this is probably a classic example of why he's probably so hesitant out there sometimes. Is because he doesn't know if he's going to get pulled for making a bad decision or does. Does he know if he's even? Does he even know when he goes goes to the arena in the evening? Am I going to play tonight or not? You have to be mentally ready, like to know your role. And I think that's as good of a coach as Terry is. I think that's one you know critique I, I would say of him is he doesn't give some of his end of the end of the the bench players their defined role and know that they're going to have to come in at certain points of the game. And especially for younger players, they need to get into that rhythm. It's it's so hard, in the, to put it into a baseball terms, to come off the bench and hit a home run as a pinch hitter. It's you you, got, you have to be a special manageably type of machine to do that. I just think it's a little irresponsible of them to not give each of them a chance to to do something. But it's a habit of his to do this, so we shouldn't be surprised now because of. The, the the Thomas Robinson Myers Joe Fearland thing it it it's a, it's his bad habit of just being kind of irresponsible with the end of the bench bigs. Lastly, before we move on to to the Oklahoma City game, sorry, I'm a little riled up right now. This game stirred up, you know, not the best of memories. It's one point. I'm, I'm so awake now, man. Like I was tired to start this podcast. I'm awake now. It's one Portland should have had. They dug themselves an early hole that they could never get over the hump. But I think this is another example of a game where some random guard destroys Portland's defense. I mean, it seems like it happens on a weekly basis, Sage. Um, I want Portland to keep Damon CJ together, but if you're playing devil's advocate, you could point to this and be like, the defense just isn't there. Yogi Ferrell should not have 32. Seth Curry should not have 19. Wesley should not have 27. Um, is it, I don't think it's fair to blame Damon CJ. I don't think the front court really does them any favors defensively or offensively. So let's give them some help up front before we really make that decision on that duo. But, you know, the defense, even as, mu- as much as I love Damon CJ, I will say that they, they as a combo defensively really put Portland in a tough position. And I think, like I said, it goes both ways. It puts it puts the bigs in a tough position, but it also puts the guards in a tough position because they know they've got no help back there. And the bigs know that they're, you know, they're really going to get the, the um, excuse me, I'm stumbling over my words here. The ball handlers are really going to get funneled to them at probably a higher rate than say, if you know, West Matthews or Nick Batum were out there on the wing or even an Alan Crabb. I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what Portland has right now is a lot of different shapes trying to cram into a lot of different sized holes. And that sounds very dirty. I know that, especially at 1121 at night, but you get what I'm saying. Too many square pegs, too many round holes. It just feels like we've got a mix, mix match of, of parts that don't need seem to, to be fitting. What's that? That need to get traded eventually. Need to get traded eventually. And what, like I'll say, I want to keep Damon CJ. I do not want to trade that duo right now. Um, I think they've earned the right to get you know another season or two together. I, I really believe we need to start moving other parts to get better front court assets because 
or at least some B quality, like a grayed out B player instead of just seven Zs. Now, if we were having this problem, if Hassan Whiteside signed with us and we're still at, you know, 22 and, and 30, then yeah, you got to look at, you know, pretty rash, you know, decisions to be made. But, you know, Hassan didn't sign here and, you know, our front court is what it is. Uh, so let's just, let's give them some time to work it together um, in terms of getting, and when I say give them some time, I mean, give Neil some time. I think he has this trade deadline to get something done or he has this summer. I think really... The trade deadline is a big checklist for me in terms of how I'm going to support Neil moving forward. Absolutely. But also, I will realize that the trade deadline sometimes isn't always the best time to trade, and you don't want to trade just to trade. We don't know what is going on um, behind closed doors. So in a sense, you do have to give him some benefit of the doubt. However, if the offseason comes and goes, and we're still really stuck here with the same roster, then I think it's fair to really criticize him because he assemble this roster with the idea in mind of trading, you know, three Toyota, you know, Camrys for one, one Lexus, uh, whatever, you know, quality, quantity for quality. So I think that what Neil O'Shea did in the off season was all right. I don't, I don't agree with some of the contracts, but everything he did matching those contracts was right. But I think that he failed I think he's failing right now with the team that's constructed. If if the expectations were playoffs, he's failing in what his job is. I'm going to give him, because of his paths, more time than right now. But right now, he's failing in what his job is. I and but I don't I don't know what the goals of this franchise. I'm assuming the goals of this franchise is playoffs, right? At the start of the season. So I mean. In, in a sense, he's failing, but I, because of past performance, I'm willing to give him more time. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but given the salary cap going up, given Portland's amount of restricted free agents, given Hassan Whiteside not wanting to sign here, really, what was Neil supposed to do? In hindsight, yes, you probably don't do certain things, but overall, you can't force people to sign here. This exactly. isn't exactly. Um, but now where you, it comes in to, to judge his decisions are, okay, what you were dealt isn't working. Now you've got to make something out of that hand. All right. I believe that's enough of the, of that Dallas game. Uh, today Portland had a Sunday matinee before the Super Bowl in Oklahoma city in what really was a must win game. If you're a fan that wants to see them move ahead uh, in the playoff ladder and, and catch the Oklahoma city thunder Portland plays OKC three more times this year, all in a relatively short amount of time. They already beat them once up in Portland. So if they got this game, you're looking at Portland with 28 losses and then OKC with 23, you're looking at a five game difference. Now it's an eight game difference in that loss column or excuse me, Portland with 29 losses. OKC would have 20. So six, so it was a two game two game um, change, just with one game and six games doesn't seem so daunting with thirty to go. Eight seems like a whole hell of a lot, especially when you're going to have to probably sweep those two games coming up against them and take the three one season series lead. I don't know if that's going to be enough, Sage. This was kind of the the line in the sand game for me in terms of really hoping they could move ahead of that seventh seed. I just don't see it happening. The first play of the game really set Five the tone. Five fucking offensive rebounds, bro. 
it was like six, you know, five, six, seven boards. We couldn't get a goddamn rebound. Um, do they score? No, but that's all energy, bro. And they established that they can do this. I when they got those five or six, however many, that was showing, hey, we can get do this whenever the fuck we want. They had to. How many offensive rebounds? I'll check. Did they end up the game with? Because they just were in the paint all of it. All day. It wasn't. They, they only had 17, and they got, like I said, they got I about seven of those first, on that. I think it was all in the first half. Yeah, Portland did a really good job um, outside of that on the boards. Overall, though, OKC was plus 12. It's but what really, what really hurt Portland was we talked about the Hornets game 44 to 22 in the paint. OKC goes plus 12 in the paint, puts up 54. Obviously, a lot of that's Russ. Portland had no answer for. Probably, you know, maybe your first half MVP, at least, you know, co-MVPs with James Harden because what Portland did so well in, in the Row City early on uh, against Westbrook was, you know, collapsing that paint, making guys like uh, Roberson and, and Kyle Singler shoot from downtown. There was nobody stopping that ball, Sage, especially on the break. He did whatever he wanted to, got to the line 11 times, uh, put up 42 points, eight assists, four boards. They did a great job of keeping him off the glass, but I think Russ will take 42 points and a win over a triple double and a loss any two or any you know any day of the week. What really hurt Portland, I thought, was Victor Oladipo. You can't allow Oladipo to get 24 points, 13 rebounds. I mean, he was just a nightmare. He was he was like the Energizer Bunny. He was all over the court. That athleticism, bro. That's why. That's why in that draft, that's why he was so high in our uh, boards during that draft. I know he was number one on both of our lists. It's that energy. It's that hustle. I mean, his his will to grab 14 fucking rebounds. He's just, he's just an athletic specimen in a league full of athletic specimens. And what I didn't get was why Portland had so many non-shooters on the floor. It was like a complete role reversal. When Portland made their non-shooters try to beat us, OKC did the same thing. They collapsed on Damon CJ. They begged Plumlee, uh, Aminu, um, everybody else to beat them. Evan Turner, and, and they didn't do it. Evan, or excuse me, Evan Turner was four of eleven. Aminu was one of eight. Uh, Plumlee four of ten. Why wasn't I? I, just, I tweeted out, why is Crab not in the game? If you're going to leave shooters open, I want Alan Crab shooting that jump shot, not Al Farouk Aminu or you know Evan Turner. Um, I know defense is half of the game too, but there was a, a spurt there where Portland really felt like they could have made one or two buckets and took that, that took that lead. Instead, it was Victor Oladipo really running up to three point line two times in a row. And gave them that spurt that, that that's what they needed. You know, Portland fought back valiantly, but it, they still never could get over the hump. And, and I think Joffrey hitting that three in the fourth. Joffrey hit that three. I mean, you know, Alan Crabb, to to his credit, started out really slow, but then he started to cook a bit. And again, he, he's a player who I just think needs more than ten shots a night. Mm. CJ only put up fifteen. CJ needs more than fifteen. Um, and it's a reoccurring theme on this podcast. I don't think there's enough basketballs to go around when you have that many shooters. Uh, shooters need to shoot. Shooters need to get in rhythm. You know, even Ray Allen probably missed a few and needed to get. You know, you don't want Ray Allen just shooting eight times, even if he makes all eight. You want him to keep fucking shooting the basketball. 
Portland has a lot of players you want shooting the basketball. The problem is they're not shooting it. All right. So we've mentioned we have one too many or two too many players. So for this exercise, I just want to go and say, I want to say a team and you tell me if they're buyers or sellers. Okay. Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, they're buyers. I don't think they have the assets to do so, but if they did, holy they'll, shit. They'll find, oh, they'll find a way, Sage. All right, Boston. They have to be a buyer. I think they're, they're a better version of us. They have yeah, a lot except, of C players. Except they got a really nice trade where they're going to rob Brooklyn blind for the next couple years. They're like us except for they're winning and they have defense and they're going to get probably the top four pick in the draft. I said a better version of us. <laughs> All right. Washington wizards. I, this is a buying team. And if you're Portland and you're Neil O'Shea, you pick up the phone and you dial them first because they are prone to making knee jerk trades. See trading, uh, for Marcin Gortat and they traded Mark for Marquise Morris, each giving up a first round pick, um, uh, in time, they also traded a while back the number five overall pick for Randy Foy and Mike Miller. This is a team that wants to win. This is a team where you could say, hey, Mason Plumlee, c- come and take him. Give us a first round pick. They're dumb enough to do it. No no disrespect to Mason, but I don't think he should fetch. Or excuse me, they're actually t- 30 and 20, so that's a pretty low pick. I would still probably do it. So. Oh, I would do it in a second. Never, and- never mind, Mason. There's... All, all respect to Richard Mason. I think mate, that's fair value for for plums. I would do it in a fucking second if I think they're a humongous buyer for a big. I mean, they signed Jan Mihimi to a big contract, and I don't think he's played. And he then has not they, played. And then Marcin Gortat, he's getting old. I think he still can play, but they are in the, the they are in the need of a big man. I think I think uh, we discussed that when we actually hung out because a lot of those arguments you made sound very familiar to me. Toronto, buyers or sellers? Again, I think you have to be a buyer if you're Toronto. You're Instead of being that second dog out east, they're getting passed by Boston. Washington. They're getting passed by Washington. And Atlanta's nipping on their heels as well. Uh, Lowry is not getting any older or excuse younger. Me, any younger. People think he's pretty young, but he he's was like taking that oh, He's way older than that. He was taken in that 06 draft with, with Brandon. Damn. Um, he he's he's up there in age. Uh, you've got DeRozan, who's you know not in the prime of his career, but he's getting better. They have assets that they need to move. They have Demari Carroll. They have, they have Demari Carroll. They have Jonas Valanciunas. They have Jakob Pertl, who was a lottery pick last year. They have assets. Um, it's up to them whether they want to make a move. Um, I just think with the core of their team not being, they're not old, but they're not super young either. You know, the Cavs may have one or two years left, you know, especially, you know, LeBron's played a lot of minutes. I think I would make a move It was if it was on the table. I just don't think standing pat and going to the Eastern Conference Finals really, I mean, I guess that that's their best case scenario. I would try to take that, that next step and, and push Cleveland, show them that, hey, we're not just here to settle. Atlanta. They need to be a seller. Yep. I think their record right now is fool's gold. They're 30 and 21. You know, they'd be fifth in the East if the playoffs ended today. They're not going to want to pay Paul Millsap big time money, um, especially since he's over 30. They just have a 
I mean, we tried to name their players the other night outside of their starting five. It's really hard to, to get to them. Um, I, they're a streaky team. Uh, if you remember, they lost what, like nine of 10 earlier in the season. They were completely out of the playoff race. So if I'm Atlanta, I sell my assets while they're high right now because, you know, obviously they're playing so well. Indiana. They need to, oh my God, they might be even more purgatory than Portland is. I think they, they might have be to the, be buyers. They might be, the, they might be the Eastern Conference version of the Blazers. I mean, they've got a superstar, a nice young player, but... They got a really superstar tough. they need to re-sign, though. He's a free agent soon. I mean, money will talk, though. I think PG will go, go back to Indy. Uh, they just have no assets to be either. To be Monte Ellis is their one tradable. The one guy I don't, they I don't, don't think I do not think Monte Ellis is tradable. Maybe uh, contract wise, but I just don't know if he's got anything. To, yeah, he's can, done. can you be neither a buyer or a seller? Because the I Patriots, think they can, I, I think they're buyers, but you could stand pat. I thought Charlotte was gonna. I, mean, I have no idea. I mean, to be honest, I have no idea what I would do if I was a Patriots GM. Chicago. They need to sell, 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 sell. I would love them to be buyers because there's a lot of t- there's a lot of assets I would love to have. Oh yeah, Robin Lopez, Taj Gibson, Nik- Nikola Mirotic, Bobby Portis. Give us give us all of your front court. <laughs> Feliciano, low key. I would love to have him on the Blazers. I mean, they have the Kings' first round pick if they make the playoffs. Detroit. Hmm. They were buyers last year and got Tobias Harris. But they haven't really been able to put, put it together. They just re-signed Drummond. I would trade. I would look to trade Reggie Jackson, but I would be a buyer in that sense because I think they've got a nice. They've got a nice young core of, of players. I just think they're 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 missing one or two vets to really push that team over the top. So I would buy if I was them. I'd buy some good vets. Charlotte. They just made the trade for the worser Plumley. I mean, obviously they're buyers right now. Whether we like it or not, they gave up two really nice contracts for fifty million dollars of Plumley of not even the good Plumley. The, the bad Plumley. All right, uh, Milwaukee with their dumb trade. You, you mean good trade? Yes. Um. Obviously, Milwaukee looks like they're they're selling quite a bit, and it couldn't doesn't look look like it could end with Plumley. Um. John Henson doesn't seem like he fits. I think they're they're waiting for Chris Middleton to get back, but overall they need more shooters on that team because Parker King is a little streaky, but he's not a three point shooter. Giannis definitely isn't a shooter. Um, they're not getting what Malcolm they need. Malcolm Broden is like their best shooter right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, Middleton has been injury prone, so I, I think they're going to 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 make some trades i think they'll definitely go after a shooter i could see the milwaukee bucks being a buyer they need to make the playoffs if you have Giannis and jabari parker and you're not making the playoffs in the eastern conference something's really wrong with with your team i think they could definitely use an alan crab for their for their roster yep. new nueva new york the knicks they are going to sell there is no way that team thinks they should compete or will compete um Mello, in my opinion is going to get traded this trade deadline Let's talk about their guards for a second. Would you take Derrick Rose for any of the guards that we have? Because I would. No, no, no. Derrick Rose, that was a gross case he's involved in. Even if it wasn't consensual or not, just the details, gross. I don't want Derrick Rose anywhere near the As a basketball player, I I would still. I can't get past it. Fair enough. I would not trade any of our 
guards. No, also me. he's a terrible basketball player right, right now. There you go. The Heat. They're making a run right now, man. I would be so livid if I was a Heat fan right now. You were in perfect tank position. Yeah. You have us on white side. Um, you're getting ready to add a top three or four pick, and you're winning ten games for what to still be two games out of the eighth seed. Um, they still have Justice Winslow, who is hurting out for the year as a nice young player. Uh, Deion Waiters is playing really well. I think Pat Riley's smart enough to be a seller, though. Um, I think Drogic really is a great trade ship to get some assets. Uh, remember, they gave up a, a ton of picks to get Drogic, so they should look to recoup some of those losses. I would expect them to be a seller. The Enigma, the Orlando Magic. They're going to be a seller. They're going to try to, I think, recoup some of the the losses again from Serge Ibaka. They know he's likely not to resign. Uh, they gave up Oladipo and what turned out to be uh, Demontis uh, Sabonis, and they don't want to let him go for nothing. I would be very surprised if Serge Ibaka ends up on any other team than the Orlando Magic come past February 23rd. Philly. They also have a slew of bigs, Biombo, Aaron Gordon, um, Jeff Green. I mean, they just have a lot of players. and They don't even play Mario Hazonia. I mean, Alfred Payton's been in and out of the lineup. I think they're going to, if they were smart, they would try to sell for what they can. Philadelphia. I think they stand pat. You got Ben Simmons coming in after the trade deadline. Hopefully, if for Philly's sake. Um, they may make a move in terms of Jalil Okafor, but I think they're going to keep Nerlens. They're probably going to try to re-sign Nerlens. Uh, he and Embiid seem to be playing really well with each other. And they're uh, friends. I think Philly's going to stand pat. Like I said, they may trade Okafor for a guard, but I don't see. I don't think they see any need in trying to make the playoffs. I think they've kind of fallen back down to where they want to be going into that lottery. They also have the Lakers' top three protected pick. They make one more lottery push. Then you know the next decade they're they're shooting for the stars. The Nets. Do you think they just love Rook Lopez and don't want to trade him? The problem with the Nets is they still get Boston's pick, which, again, is not going to be very good. But they have no incentive to tank uh, because they, they get to swap picks with Brooklyn or Boston gets to swap picks with them. Um, they've lost nine in a row. They're nine and 42. It's going to take a miracle for any team to catch up to them. They're going to have the worst record in the entire NBA. They, outside of Hollis Jefferson, they have no young assets at all. Since they're so bad, and even though they're trying not to tank, they need to just rebuild that thing from the ground up and sell. Sell what they can. Acquire anything you can get from Brooke Lopez. Um, they just need picks. They need assets. They're almost like, they're, they're really an expansion team, if we're being completely honest. D-League All-Stars. Not e- maybe not even that. So I, I think the Eastern Conference is the conference that you trade for if you're trying to make a, a any type of trade. You only said three teams are standing pat and one's a seller. There's a lot of... I think a lot of teams have this idea that they could be the second team that... Or the second seed that challenges LeBron for the first. So I think that is the the, the, the conference that you go to. And let's just quickly go through the heat, the Western Conference. I think Golden State's staying pat. There's, it's foolish for them to do anything, right? Golden State, San Antonio definitely stay pat. I could see San Antonio making a big boy trade for talent. 
but they never make big boy trades. That's not their mo. I would be very surprised if they did that. I think Houston stays pat too. The only trade that they could potentially make is for a better small forward than Corey Brewer. What do you think? I just don't think they they're playing so well above. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've fallen back to earth five and five. Again, they're a team that's just playing above their heads. They don't really have a lot of. I mean, outside of James Harden. I mean, they're not going to trade Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson. They just signed them. They don't really have assets that make people go, wow, I really I want that guy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard in just putting on a clinic. I think they stay pat. I think the Utah Jazz stay pat. They don't seem like it's – I think they're pretty content with where they're at. I think um, if they could find like, – like if they could trade Alec Burke and Derek Favors for something good, they would. But other than that, I think they're just staying pat as well. I think the Clippers are definitely buyers. They see this as their last hurrah. Um, Memphis. I just don't think they they have the assets. Don't have the. I think they're. If anything, they're going to try to add a small piece. Um, because again, Conley's the highest paid player in the league. They just re-upped Gasol. They just paid big money for Parsons. They want to win. There's losing does nothing for them. Um, Denver has their pick as well. Yep. Oklahoma City. I think they are staying pat. I don't. Again, Cantor's out six to eight weeks. Um, there was some rumors that campaign was going to net them like a legit small forward. Campaign is terrible. I no, don't that's think not he's happening. good at all. But he's a very bad basketball player. Next, Denver. I think they could potentially be buyers. Yeah, but I'm hearing they might be. I, if I was Denver, I would be a seller. One, they've got assets out the Wahoo. Um, you see that, that they, uh, Emmanuel Moutier and. Uh, Jameer Nelson's been starting ahead of him. Yeah. he's J- Emmanuel Moody has been playing fucking awful this year. And then uh, Wilson Chandler's been talking about wanting to get traded. He is a very interesting asset if he can stay healthy. Chandler is definitely. You've also got Kenneth Fareed, who could possibly be on the block. Nurkic is racking up um, DM- DMP coaches' decisions, you know, just in, in handfuls. So Denver definitely will probably sell. I think they'll sell to get those guys off their hands and to bring. I guess no. I guess that if we're in terms of definitions, they'll be a buyer. They'll, they'll move those players to get. I think they'll keep Moutier, but I think they'll move something. Dallas buyer. They want to win. I don't know why, but they want to win. They yeah. probably will trade Andrew Bogut for something. So they're more likely to trade their first than Wes Matthews. Oh, they're not trading West. Mark Cuban loves West. Sacramento Kings. Stan Pat, they with Rudy Gay out for the year, they they really have they're not trading cousins. I don't see them trading Macklemore. Um Stan Pat. Oh I handle this one. New Orleans or Sellers. Um there was a rumor going around from this guy who used to be a beat writer for the Pelicans. His nickname was Pelstradamus, because he he predicted like every Pelicans move that happened, and before he quit t- Twitter again, he talked about the New Orleans talking to Portland about a CJ McCollum for Drew Holiday, Buddy Heal, check check Diallo, and two first round picks. How do you feel about that as a Blazers fan? We've discussed this before. I think it's fair not, value not on this I, podcast that's why I brought well it up. yeah <laughs> but i don't know if i would i would do it i would have to see the protection on the picks probably would need to watch more tape on buddy to see i love buddy Hield. 
I mean, fucking love him. Drew Holiday, we'd have to resign. Um, Diallo yeah. is a I, young prospect. I think it, the again, whole deal it would depend on relies on Drew being cool with resigning with the Portland Trailblazers. Trailblazers. I mean, to me, no. It really depends on the picks. Like, if we give you CJ, are you going to skyrocket up the standings? Doubt it. Um, because if that that pick, I mean, right now would be like seven. It, it's, I think we could get, and this isn't a hypothetical world. If we wanted to trade with Philly, I think we could get more. Um, right. Also, I just I would be extremely extremely surprised if Neil moves CJ right this year. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, Zach Levine's out for the year with that that ACL, which really that screws. changes a lot of things for them. Yeah, because he's not only going to miss the rest of this year, he's going to miss a chunk of next year. Uh, I think they have to be sellers. They, they got to be looking at trying to get rid of Peck's contract. He I mean, retired. So Ricky Ruby has been on the trade block for what years. five, six years now. It seems like um, they're not getting what they need out of Chris Dunn. I'm not saying he's going to be moved, but Tyus Jones is performing better on the court right now than Chris Dunn. I just think they're they're sellers. They're yeah. going to try. And if and if they were smart, they would trade some of their players. They would bring in some veterans because that that team needs veterans in the worst way. The Lakers. I think they have to stay pat. They're standing pat. They're probably trying to lose so they can get that, that pick. I mean, it's so incentivized for them to lose that there's no way that they're bringing any talent in to help them win. And then the last pick, I think Phoenix Duns. They Sellers. Could, I, I think they're finally talking themselves into the Bledsoe-Booker combo. But I think everyone else is tradable. I would love to get my hands on TJ Warren if I was either of the teams I root for. Yeah, and I'm certain they'd love to, to get out from under Tyson Chandler's contract. I think Alex Len is going to be a restricted free agent, so they I wouldn't be surprised. They wouldn't offer him the extension. Okay, so either way, he's he's up for grabs next season. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him. Uh, Brandon Knight, I don't think he's really working out there. P.J. Tucker could be a sneaky asset that some team looking to make a really deep playoff push could go after. We, you know, we both liked his game as a really solid 3 and deep player. Um, the toughness it's, too. It's going to be a really strange trade deadline. Are there going to be a lot of moves to be made because teams are jockeying for position, or are people going to, you know, keep their cards close to their their, their chest because they know it's really a two team race? But you can talk if you're in the Eastern Conference, you can totally talk yourself into that Eastern Conference loss. Oh, you can, and I think yeah. there are certain teams that want to make that jump regardless. We've talked about the Clippers the current state of the age of their players, their core, they need to win now. Um, you look at Washington, you look at the Washington Wizards, they're a win now team at all costs. You know, they're the teams that are in limbo, I think are the Celtics. Do they play for the future with that, that pick or do they kind of make that push now? And then, you know, maybe a team like the Denver Nuggets, what, what do they do? But for the most part, I think if, if a guy like Melo goes, like you look at the three guys, I think, Mello, Paul Millsap, and Serge Ibaka. If if you start seeing those guys go, it's going to be wild, wild west moves left and right. If those guys can't go, that means one, the trade market's dried up, and teams are going to be like, no, we can just sign them next year, and it's going to be really quiet. I mean, typically how it works, especially in free agency and the trade deadline, once that first domino falls, then you start to see some action. Um, I think there is going to be quite some action just because of the salary cap going up again. And teams, you know, not wanting to pay guys like Ibaka and, and Millsap 30 plus million dollars when they're 35 years old. 
Thank you for listening to the Holy Backward Podcast. Please uh, stay tuned for a quick message from our, our sponsors. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backward Podcast, Vinyl Me Please is a vinyl record of the month of the best record club. Every month, VMP features one album that is essential to the modern vinyl collection and sends it to thousands of members worldwide. This month, I'm actually very excited because it is Main Source Breaking Adams. If you don't know who Main Source is, it's a rap group featuring one of my favorite producers of all time, Large Professor, and this is the first time Nasty Nas has ever featured on a record, and that's live from the barbecue. Dude just rips it, he is one of the best MCs ever, and this is when he was about 16, so I'm very happy that this is the first month we get to be part of this, and one of the best hip-hop records of all time. So to join this record club, go to joinvmp.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's joinvmp.com slash holybackboard to join Vinyl Me Please today. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. It is early February, and the Blazers have three games on tap this week, one on the road, two at home. The All-Star break is quickly, quickly approaching. In fact, there are only four games left until the break. Sage, the first game, if you still want the playoffs, um, it is an absolute must win. I think these four games are really indicative of what happens. And I know we've said that the last three weeks, but this is a time we're actually seriously serious. I mean, I think we're as serious as last time, but when I was watching the game against the Thunder and I saw the next month's games, you know, there's seven games left in February. And I looked at that list and I was like, shit, we could conceivably lose all seven Seven. of those games Mm -hmm. and be 22 and 37. At that time, I think you pull the plug. I think you severely reduce Damon CJ's minutes. I think you bring back Jake Lyman. You bring back Tim Quarterman. You start trying all fucking types of lineups, seeing what sticks. I mean, you're really throwing anything at the wall and seeing if anything works because 15 games under 500, I don't care how close you are to the eighth seed. You want no part of that. Um, and that's what it's going to be. February, the rest of February will define, I think, how the Blazer season goes because you've got at Dallas, you've got Boston and Atlanta at home. You go to Utah before the All-Star break. And then what do you get after the All-Star break? You get a three-game Eastern Conference road trip at Orlando, who's already beat you, at Toronto, who's already beat you, and at Detroit, who has already beat you all at home. That is a tough seven-game stretch, Sage, and it really starts with Dallas. Just like with any road trip, you want to get the first one. And I know Portland's already technically on a road trip and dropped that first one. So it's going to be even more important to watch how they come out of the gates. One, they usually respond pretty well off of a loss. Um, We saw that after they lost to Golden State. They absolutely killed uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Even though they lost to the Mavericks, they could have won that game against Oklahoma City. I was telling Olga, we were playing pretty bad ball, and we're still in this game. It was a sloppy, sloppy game, both sides. But again, if, if you're watching the Mavericks game, the things you need to look for are how does Portland defend the pick and roll? Do they fall into their old habits of giving up jump shots? Do they go under screens? How are they, are they, if, if they overcommit to guys like Yogi Ferrell, does that open up more shots for Harrison Barnes and Dirk Nowitzki, who had relatively quiet games, who are very capable shooters? And in the case of Nowitzki, one of the NBA's all-time greats. 
So this Dallas team actually has a lot of nice weapons. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they should be going for the eighth seed, but that's neither here nor there. They've act, they've they've got what I like. They've got some dogs on their team, Sage. Yep. They've got those guys who just want to win, and I really think Portland's missing a couple of those uh, players. Dallas is just on a, a fucking tear right now. They've won four straight, seven of their last ten, and if they beat Portland, I think by percentage points they may leapfrog them. So this is a, a major, major game for the Mavericks. My question to you is. Not whether you want them to, but do you think Portland treats this as a major game? How do they come out? Because my X factor is the first six minutes of the game. Does Portland get down big again to this Dallas team, or do they you know, punch them in the mouth first? I think they should be pissed the fuck off that they got embarrassed on ESPN. I think they're going to start out pretty well, and then their intensity might fade, and... Players like Dirk and I think Seth will do really well. I mean, that seems to be the trend for Portland. If if they don't get down behind early, they usually play a team pretty tight, and then they kind of start to fade down the stretch of games. Um, I don't know why that's happened, but I mean, you look at that Sacramento game in Sacramento where we were leading the entire way, and all of a sudden the wheels fall off the wagon. Um, you look at the game game tonight. We play them very tough all the way through, and, and then just there's plays, plays here and there, and Oklahoma City took advantage. I think this game could be the domino. If Portland loses, it, it could really spiral out of control for this team. If they win, I think you kind of see them flutter back and forth. Two-game win streak, two-game losing streak, kind of playing you know pitter-powder basketball all the way through the end of April. But you lose to Dallas, you go 22-31. and 31, I don't believe they had, they have been um, more than ten games under five hundred this entire season. I believe nine was the, the 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 furthest behind that they have been. So this would put them at twenty two and thirty one, as I said, and really in uncharted waters because even last year when they were predicted to win twenty six games, they never fell more than seven below. So it, it, it's almost like a gut check for me. I'm not watching again these games for wins and losses. We're watching for energy. I'm watching for you know shot distribution. What does Stotts do with Vonleh? I, I thought he plays well, especially I think he can get his shot off against Dirk and Harrison Barnes. And I would love to see us go to Noah down low to start that game off, Sage. I think that we can't go under screens if Yogi Ferrell gets hot. I don't think we can spend as much time guarding Seth with tall players and just letting other Dallas Mavericks get hot and shoot threes on us. I, this is the, this this is a very important game, man. Of their three guards that they start with, Wes, Seth, and Yogi, which one do you think has the most likely likelihood of going off against Portland. Seth. What about you? I think Seth is the most skilled. Offensively. I think Wes. Wes, when he got even Evan Turner in the block, like he looked like the Wes from 2014. Um, 
I think Wes is going to be the one that goes off. He he loves seeing the Blazers. I mean, I know he's got a lot of love and respect for this team and this organization, but at the end of the day, it's still like, fuck you, you didn't want to resign me. Um, I'm going to go out there and prove you wrong every fucking time I see you. And we, we've seen that both times this year with Wes. Um, these lot, excuse me, we played them three times the first time. I don't think he was really up to speed, but those past two games against Portland, he's really, really made the difference. That was that key steal on Lillard, um, back in December. And then he hit a lot of big threes and played just incredible defense. He's the type of player that Portland misses. I think in the locker room and on the court where his effort out, out seat, excuse me, exceeds his talent and he's a very talented dude but Wes just wants it more they're going to be in front of those home fans they've got a really good fan base in Dallas too that arena gets pretty loud um I don't think it's a matter of if but it's a matter of when one of those three is going to lead that team and I just don't think you can expect Harrison Barnes to shoot below 50 percent again it's going to be a tough one for Portland I think it's going to be a close game the two teams are very similarly matched um very backcourt heavy it's going to come down to I think a few factors Bench scoring, which guys can get hot? Can Alan Crabb, you know, lead the way? Mo Harkless for Portland, or are you going to get guys coming off that Dallas bench to, to lead the charge? Which I don't think they are, but are the starters going to be enough to carry them? Because as I mentioned, the Dallas bench had eight points last time we played them. So it's going to be, you know, can Portland get that balanced scoring attack, or is Dallas going to have those, you know, just big five? Their their starters lead the way. I mean, most of their bench is starting right now, man. Like, Also, how is Yogi Ferrell going to perform knowing he, he's got a two-year deal at minimum? Is he going to have that same same chip on his shoulders? Uh, I would assume, yeah, because he wants to prove that deal, right? And he ultimately wants to play for an even bigger contract. But, you know, like we said, watch the defense. Do we hedge? Do we trap? And who is going to guard... Yogi, who's going to guard Seth, who's going to guard Wes, because they actually pose a lot of matchup problems because Dame and CJ, if they were guarding Yogi, they were going under the screens. If they were defending Wesley Matthews, they were get taken down to the block. If they were guarding Seth Curry, they were running all the way around. So there's really no way you can hide either of those guys on, on the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Dallas is actually a, a pretty tough personnel matchup for Portland. So by, by those senses, I think it's going to be a close game like they have all been recently. I just think Portland's going to run out of gas on the road where, you know, as I mentioned, they're 80-19 on the year. Not really, um, they have not been road warriors. So I think it's going to be a close loss, a very competitive game. I think it'll be entertaining just like uh, Friday's game was, but I think they're going to come up a little bit short. How do you see this one ending, Sage? I think Evan Turner will have a pretty good game because he seemed to really play well when he was bullying Yogi or Seth Curry. Seth Curry picked up four extremely quick fouls in the first half and then played the rest of the game with five. I mean, a lot of those fouls were just because Evan Turner was putting him in the post and just bullying him till he either gave up the open post shot or fouled him. I think Evan Turner will have a good game, but I also think that Dallas just wants it more right now, so I'm going Dallas, but I think Evan Turner and then one of those two guards, Seth or uh, uh, West, goes off. Portland's next opponent is the Boston Celtics, a team Portland just saw on January 21st where they went into the Garden in Massachusetts, clawed out a 127-123 overtime victory. They still were not able to quiet Isaiah Thomas. 
And I guess if you could have a quiet 41, he had a quiet 41, but he did it in bunches. And again, he just keeps continuing to destroy teams in the fourth quarter. Uh, He's really been a man on the mission. And if you want to look at Eastern Conference MVPs, I think he's got to get your vote because he has just been uh, magical, to say the least. Uh, You're looking at a 5'9 guard, the last pick of the 2011 draft by the Sacramento Kings. And he's really one of those those stories you, you tell your grandkids, you know, if you're trying to find some motivation, look at this guy, really the deck stacked against him and he continues to outperform. Um, he's just been a, a monster lately after that Portland game. Here are his point totals, 25 against the wizards, 38 against the rockets, 21 against the magic, 37 against the bucks, 41 against the pistons, 44 against the Raptors, 38 against the Lakers and 28 against the Clippers. Uh, Boston's been winning and winning big lately. That's a seven game win streak. And he is the conductor of that train. He is the engineer. He is driving them in full force. And you know, they're going to remember that loss. They took at the hands of the Blazers back on January 21st. As this, the Boston game, Avery Bradley was, had uh, an Achilles injury. It looks like he's still dealing with that Achilles injury. So that should help us. I mean, but that means the epic flopper Marcus Smart plays. Terry Rozier showed us some skills, especially hitting that late game shot. I, I I just think that there's no overlooking the Blazers, especially for the Celtics after that that loss just a month ago. So I think they're gonna come out and play really well, really smart. And I think they get the victory just because Isaiah in the fourth is so deadly. And then Al Horford's going to contribute in so many other ways. You know, if Avery Bradley's not going to play, I think Portland wins this game. That's the one really card they held over Portland was they could stick Bradley on Damon CJ and really contain that matchup and force the other player to t- try to all on his own. Without Avery Bradley, you're looking at a, a Celtics team. Like you said, they were either playing Marcus Smart uh, alongside, alongside Isaiah um, in this this afternoon's matchup against the, the Clippers. They actually started Jalen Brown. So they're trying to go bigger, but I don't think bigger is necessarily going to to stop a Dame or CJ. I'm, I've never bought into the Marcus Smart hype. I think he's an okay defender. Um, Rogier actually played really well in that last matchup. And Al Horford... Again, an- another player that just doesn't really do it for me. I know he's going to put you put up, you know, 15 and 10 and play some pretty decent defense, but if you can kind of make life a little difficult for Isaiah Thomas and what I mean by a little difficult for him is, you know, hold him under 50% shooting, make him more of a of a shooter than a distributor. Get his shot attempts up into, you know, the mid 20s. Um the guy I worry about those Jay Crowder. I mean, he is a great 3 and D player he can hit those back breaking threes he has the ability to come and help play some weak side defense to help those traps on our guards um but they have a pretty weak front court in terms of low post scoring al horford's going to do most of his damage at the three-point line or the mid-range and amir johnson i think you can just give him the ball and if you're portland you say shoot try to beat us amir um his best days are far behind him you know, again, if Avery Bradley isn't there, their bench does, again, 
not a whole lot for me. And this speaks volumes to what Isaiah Thomas is doing because this roster isn't really that great. Uh, Jalen Brown is a, is a rookie coming out of Cal, uh, 19, 20 year old. Um, their, their bench consists of, you know, your Gerald Green, Kelly Olenek, Marcus Martin, Terry Rozier, who played in, the, in that last game against the Clippers. Uh, Portland's got a better bench. They can play better at home. Will they? Um, that's tough. It's, I almost debated not even doing this segment because it's almost like trying to pick Powerball numbers, trying to predict this Blazer team and how they will. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. It's It would be an unexpected win, but they do not scare me without Avery Bradley. Last year, that was the team you didn't want to play when they had Avery Bradley because he could do so many things defensively. But if he's not there, I think Portland wins. I, Damon, CJ, it's going to be a TNT game. One of those dudes is going to go off. Um, Alan Crabb loves playing on national television as well. I think he has a big night. I think Portland gets the job done. And then we head over to the Atlanta Hawks. Again, they're coming for their first matchup of the season to Portland. Um, a Monday game, but a TNT game, I assume, because it is the week of All-Star break and all games end on, on Wednesday, February 15th before the break. Definitely a weird team, Sage. Uh, we couldn't really name anybody off on the roster outside of Dwight, you know, Kent Bazemore, Paul Millsap, Tim Hardaway Dennis Jr. Schroeder. I mean, they're just, they've got like five guys we know. Uh, it's a weird team, but they're winning. And they had a surprise victory in Houston against the Rockets. Um, they destroyed the Magic recently by 17. But they, they That's didn't. not saying much with how bad the Magic are. But they're but they're doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, they did take a big loss at Miami, but again, Miami's really hot. Um, they lost to the Wizards again, big, but the Wizards are hot. So what I'm seeing from the Hawks in their recent trajectory is they're beating the teams they should, and they're probably not a very good team. So they're getting handled when they're playing against a superior foe or a foe that is really trending in the right direction, as is the case with the Miami Heat. So have we played them yet? Is this the first time? No, we have not. So Dennis Schroeder um, defends guards full court. After every possession, he, he goes straight on them and plays them full court. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been really hot as of recently. Kent's had a pretty bad year. Uh, Tabo plays really good defense. Paul Millsap's just a beast, contributes in so many different ways. Dwight Howard's had a pretty good year as far as numbers. Um, Malcolm Delaney's a shooter off the bench who I couldn't think of, uh, last time we hung out because I was a little tipsy. Um, I don't know if Mike Dunleavy has established himself off the bench, but they've got some random guys that can put the ball in the basket. Um, and I just love Coach Budenholzer. Hmm. I was going to predict a victory until you mentioned Coach Bud. They hand it, they've been handing it to us really since he took the reins in Atlanta. They've got a really good starting five. This reminds me almost of, of the Dallas game in terms of can our bench really you know give us the advantage because nobody on their bench scares me not a lick it's gonna have to be a game where like you mentioned evan turner's gonna have to take some of these smaller dudes to the paint uh mo harkless is gonna have to attack the rim can we get a Millsap or a dwight howard just one of those guys into a little bit of foul trouble 
who is going to guard, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. As you mentioned, he's been playing so well lately. He had just 21 points um, on 8 of 14 shooting their, their past performance against the Magic. Um, they're getting balanced scoring. Can they rebound the ball? You know, you look at Paul Millsap and, and Dwight Howard. Can we defend them straight up without having to send doubles down to Dwight or, or Paul Millsap? So there's just a lot of factors going on. Oh, I was really thinking win, Sage, but you mentioned Coach Bud, and now I'm kind of going the opposite, but I'm going to go with my gut. I thought it was going to be a win. I think our bench, bench players traditionally play better at home. Oh, absolutely. We'll be at home. We'll be at home. Uh, I think they're going to play well. I think this could actually maybe be a Myers game going up against Dwight Howard to bring him out of the paint a little bit. I think where Portland's going to have to be cautious is when Millsap and Howard are on the floor, can we protect the paint? Because they're going to go to work down low. It's going to be really important for Mason Plumley to defend without fouling. And then I think if you're Portland, you might have to take your chance sending that double or sending a trap. Um, I think it'd be a good time to send that aggressive uh, blitzing of Paul Millsap when he gets the ball. I'd rather have Tim Hardaway or Kent Baseball right now try and beat me than Paul Millsap. That dude's just so consistent. I'm going loss. I think that as of right now, we're 0 3. You know, Schroeder is turning the ball over three times a game, which isn't too bad. 6.3 assists. I still would like to see, make him beat us too. Send it, send a double, send a trap at him. I think if you're Portland, you kind of just play with reckless abandon for these last 30 games and just try to leave it all on the court. Do crazy shit within the rules. Of, you know, try different things. If it's a, a box in one zone, if it's a 2-3-2, two, two, I don't fucking know, 3-2 zone. Just try something different because what they've done so far just hasn't worked. Um, but has that ever happened where Stutz just changes what he does? Yes, so and it worked. Yeah, but it didn't. Back to it against yeah, Dallas. but once he once he got into a bit of trouble, he went right back to what he's done for well, however many good, years. Then this is a good learning experience for him. So are you going to win or loss? I think win. I don't know. This team wins when they shouldn't, and they lose when they shouldn't. So most people would think, you know, 0-3. I think 2-1. and 1-2 and two is probably the most likely, but I know we're only 14-11 and 11 at home, but it still pains me to predict home losses because they still come as even, – even today, they still come as such a surprise. Like the Dallas game still surprises me. Um, that's one thing they do. They still play really competitive at home. I'm not sold on the Eastern Conference. I'm definitely not sold on the Atlanta Hawks. The only thing that gives me pause about either of these two wins is, does Avery Bradley play and the revenge factor from knowing that Portland gave it to him? And two, like you mentioned, Coach Bud, he's really, really great X's and O's coach, has really dissected this Blazer defense on multiple occasions the past couple years. He has a different, you know, talent, in, in his arsenal right now. I mean, there's no more Kyle Korver. There's no more Al Horford. There's no more Jeff Teague. But he still has more than capable you know, replacements to to come at us. I think both are going to be close. But in this, the Jekyll and Hyde Blazers era, I'm going to zig when they zag. And hopefully I'll, I'll get a couple of uh, bullseyes. All right. I think that about wraps it up, Rip City. It is Monday morning, 12, 13 
here in Portland for me and down in Southern Oregon for you, my friend. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, give us that that five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so you're the first to know when a new episode drops. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX, Google Play as well. Uh, follow us along on social media at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sage, any final words? Let's just play hard and have fun. I guess yeah, my final words too are just just watch the game for basketball enjoyment. If you love basketball, watch it. I don't think this is a wins and losses year, unfortunately. Just watch to be entertained. Every 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 game there's gonna be something that makes you go ooh or ah, whether it's a you know, a dame, you know, cutting through traffic, you know, finishing at the rim, or CJ putting a defender on skates as he as he's been doing on a regular basis this year, or it's you know, Mo Harkless flying in from the outside, you know, throwing down a hammer dunk. Uh, there's always something to get excited about and watch. And just know that this season, yeah, it may be a disappointment, but Blazer fans have always, you know, said this. There's always next year. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!